interact with God. Just tell him. And then if you know that you are surrendered and you're there, just ask the Lord to show you something, those next steps for you. I'm going to give you a couple of seconds. So bow your head, close your eyes, and just have a conversation with the Lord. Take this seriously. Get our minds set for tonight. Get our heart ready. Make it good soil for your prayer with the Lord. continued to this day. Lord, what lies before me is the next generation. Who will carry on this work? Who will join the fight? Well, I know there's maybe two, maybe a few, maybe more. And tonight would be a night that they say, uh, I'm in. I want to join the fight. Lord, let that make that so clear. Lord, remove, remove me. I'm a nobody. And let your word speak about the somebody that we love. Again, Lord, just thank you so much for your truth. And let it guide us tonight through your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, I want you to write down this last two key words, okay? We're just going to jump in. Remember the first day or the first time was the key word was salvation. That was, that's really what we were looking at. That's what we were really trying to figure out. Remember, in salvation, you know, depending where you're at on that, in that decision, one, you need to get saved, or two, right, you, you may need to love much. And, and the reason you're going to love much is because you realize you've been forgiven much. And then the next, this morning we talked about the key word was surrender. Surrender. And you just, man, making the decision that here's my heart, here's my mind, I'm giving over my life to you. God, you've done enough. The benefits are enough for me to give you my life. You've proven yourself over and over again. You don't need to prove anymore. I'm yours. But it only worked with two people, remember? And one of them was named Joshua. And Joshua was a slave. He's the one that came out of Egypt. But so how does a slave turn to a soldier? And not only a soldier, but to a leader of soldiers. How did that happen? How did Joshua get into the fight? You know, I'm just going to tell you that it's just two simple decisions. They're not easy. They're not easy decisions because they are simple. And, and again, this may be just for the two in the room. I hope it's more. But you know how you get in? How you come to the land? Remember, the promised land is 
there's a lot of battles, right? You got Jericho, and you got all these inhabitants there to drive out. You know, the promised land isn't this peace, isn't this time just to, you know, settle down. God was bringing them to war. They're going to have to drive out the inhabitants. And he's preparing them this whole time. And So how do you get in? How do you get into this land? The reason he brought them out of Egypt. How do you get in the fight? The reason he brought you out of the world. Here, the key word for that is submission. I mean, write that down. Submission. And the, the decisions, and we'll talk about them, so you don't need to write them down necessarily. The two decisions that gets you in the fight is you, you must submit to your discipler and you must submit to your father. We'll talk about the father tomorrow morning Maybe that evening, depending on how it goes, but that father thing's pretty heavy. Some of you probably, even as I mentioned, submitting to the father, you know, it kind of hurts the feels a little bit. And I'm just telling you, you will not win a battle. You will not get in a fight. You don't have a right relationship with the father. Starting with your physical father. Man, tomorrow, I'm just give you a heads up. It's going to be heavy tomorrow. So tonight, man, I, I press you. Okay, get some sleep. Rest up. Try, man, try to get some sleep tonight. Okay, the rest of the nights, whatever. Right? Stay up till, what, when did you get in the cabin? Like one, you said? You said Andy was sleeping? Oh, 11, right. Okay, not one, Andy. He got there at 11. Okay, so <laughs> you're not going to have dinner with me ever again, right? Alright. <laughs> he did get there at 11, Andy. Don't, don't yell at him, please. Okay, alright. So the nation of Israel, man, they're free. God has done enough to win their heart and mind. The spies give the report. They're at that place where they're going to go in and the spies melt the heart, right? And they have this yak attack. And we come to Numbers 14, 6 through 10, Man, what courage by these two, two young men. And it says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Verse 9. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. I love this. For the bread to us. The bread for us. He's talking about giants. They're saying, oh, we're going to eat them alive. Their defense is depart from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. I mean, they're standing in front of potentially two million people. Just two men standing in front of us. Hey, hey, listen. Don't rebel. And these guys are just, they're just bread. Man, we can make some sandwiches. It's going to be great. Man, let's, let's go in. 
The Lord is with us. Okay, can you hear in the language that the Lord's got their heart and mind? And they are surrendered. You ain't shaking them. I mean, they got some guts to stand up in front of us. This crowd that becomes a mob about the stone. They're surrendered. They've got passion. They got zeal. And we need people like that. We need people that are surrendered. You know when you're surrendered, there's this passion that's fueled by the grace you received at salvation. You just want to live for the Lord. Maybe you've been there. Maybe when you got saved, poof, you want to tell everyone. Man, you want to get at it. You want to do whatever God asks you to do. And you've had this passion. Maybe some of you are feeling that again. Or maybe you're feeling that new. You made the commitment to surrender. You're like, yes. Okay, what's next? I want to take the world. But here's the deal. That new zeal needs to be funneled in the right direction. You can have zeal without knowledge, and that can be very dangerous. Moses saw the passion in his boy Joshua, and he began to mold that passion into a great leader. And he did it through discipling him. There's three keys that Moses taught Joshua. I want you to see tonight. Again, I may be just talking to the two. But if you two would get this tonight, you're going to get in. You'll get in the battle. You'll make an impact. It's just amazing. He wants someone to save and then surrender. God uses submission to prepare you for, for and put you into the battle. Here's what Moses began to teach Joshua. Moses taught Joshua how to have an interactive relationship with God. Write that down. It should be on there. Okay, tonight's going to be very practical. Okay, it's going to be some notes. There's some things I want you to write down to keep for many years to come or but Moses taught Joshua how to have an interactive relationship with God. And I need my church piece to really listen on this one. He taught Joshua how to be intimate with the Lord. Some of you guys are really good at reading your two, three chapters a day. Some of you guys have been doing that for a while. Maybe it's a Proverbs or whatever the thing may be. Some of you guys are really good at coming to church and Listening and even taking notes. You've never been taught how to interact with God. To actually have a conversation with Him. See in Exodus 24-13, you see that Moses rose up and his minister Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. So here, Moses is bringing Joshua with him. Up to the mountain. He's involving him in this relationship he has with God. He's just not telling Moses about it. He's showing him. Not only is he showing him, he's involving him in this relationship that he has with God. And it begins to pour over into Joshua's life. We see in Exodus 33, verse 11, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face. Talk about interactive relationships. Talking about something close. Moses is talking to him face to face. You know, there's only two men in the Bible that are called the friend of God, Moses and Abraham. When you look at their conversations with the Lord, 
they're interactive. Right? Moses, he's having these conversations that just are awesome. One that I love is Abraham and the whole deal with Lot. If you remember that story, Lot is caught in Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin and, and the craziness and Moses is walking and with the Lord and the Lord's like, hey, should I withhold what I'm going to do to Sodom and Gomorrah from Abraham? I mean, He's my friend, right? I need to tell him what's going on. And so the Lord begins to tell him, hey, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Moses began to have this conversation. Hey, Lord, if there's, is there, if there's 50 righteous, will you destroy the city? Ah, no, Moses, I won't do it. And Moses is like, hey, God, um, what about 40? Will you do it for 40? No, I won't do it for 40. Uh, and he gets it all the way down to 10. And you know what Abraham was banking on? Okay, you have Lot and his wife. He's got two girls, right? So that's, I don't count well, right? It's four, right? And then it talks about that there's some son-in-laws. So at least that's at least two daughters and then two husbands. And what, what number am I? Am I, am I count right? I don't know. All they needed to have was like two kids. And there would have been ten. He was banking on Lot's family to be at least righteous. And, and, and so, but the problem is, there wasn't ten. And so God had to destroy some of the more. But you know what God realizes or understands? Lot. Abraham's praying for Lot. So he saves him anyway. Cool. Don't miss the interaction. I mean, Moses is on this personal level where he's talking to the Lord and he's interacting back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And Moses here is talking to him face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he turned again into the camp and said, But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Okay, Joshua did fall asleep. And he just, Moses like, I'll oh, leave him there in the tabernacle. No. Joshua is now developing this personal relationship that Moses has introduced him to. Okay. I don't know how you talk to your friends. Okay. But the way I talk to my friends is I, I talk a little, and then, and then my friend talks. And then I respond to what they say, and then back and forth. Let me show you what is it. Let me give you this example. Is this a conversation? Okay. What's, what's your favorite thing? Hi, my name is Code, by the way. Yeah. Melissa. Okay, Melissa. What's your favorite thing? Just say something. Jesus. <laughs> awesome. Are you a church kid? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Jesus. That's awesome. Okay, I can talk about Jesus. But okay, let's say she talks about Jesus for 10, 15, 20 minutes with me. And I'm there, and she's talking, and then I'm like, hey, you know those Kansas City Chiefs, man? They're the greatest football team alive, man. They're just awesome. Woo, yeah, right? And I don't know about these Ohio people, man. They're college, university, what are the Buckeyes or something? I don't know. I don't get all that. Cleveland? Who's Cleveland? Uh, and all this stuff. Okay, so and I talk about football for 10, 15 minutes. Did we have a conversation? I mean, she shared some stuff, I shared some stuff, but there really was no interaction. Well, it may bring it to my wife's, you know, my wife is 
sitting there and she's talking to me about the same thing we need to talk about the kids, okay? And she she shares for like 20 minutes about the kids and I'm listening. And then I share about 20 minutes about the kids and then we just walk away. I mean, there's some interaction, but that's not really communicating. And, and so the best thing is like, she'll mention something about the kids and then I would add to that or talk about it. And then I, I suggest something and then she interjects and there's this interactive relationship. Hey, church peeps. This is what sometimes it looks like for us. You read your three chapters. You get to the time where you pray. Lord, please help me with school. Please let me have a great day. Help my hair not be crazy. And, you know, help that one zit go away so it doesn't pop on Joey. And, you know, Lord, just... Man, protect us, keep us safe, and let me be about the gospel. And man, I pray that I just give you glory. What did Jesus just talk to you for the last three chapters about? You didn't interact with him at all. And you go jump to your prayer, and you go jump to the next thing, and there is no interactive relationship going on. There is no back and forth with the Lord as Abraham and Moses would do. Man, I know I'm just talking to the two. But Joshua had to learn this from a Moses. And you learn this stuff in that one-on-one discipleship relationship. There's an old saying that I just always had, you know, around my office, but also it's just kind of a motto for ministry. The counselors, man, it's something that we need to understand. Tell them, and they'll forget. Show me, and I'll remember. Involve me, and they'll understand. Hey, teens, if you're going to understand how to have an interactive relationship, you need a Moses. You need to find someone. Teach me how to have a relationship with the Lord. Show me what this means to actually have a real conversation with Him. What does it mean when you say that the Word will speak to you and God speaks through His Word? Show me. Better yet, involve me. Bring me into your personal time. One of the sweetest things to do with teenagers, one of the sweetest things I love to do the brain teenagers in my personal time with the Lord. But that's my personal time. Yeah, Moses did it. You need to be shown so that you can have your own. And, and that's what you see in Deuteronomy 31 verse 14. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, oh, I'm sorry, 31 22. Or 21 through 22. It says, I command Joshua at the time, saying, Thy eyes have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto these kings. So shall the Lord do unto all the kingdoms whither thou passest. Ye shall not fear them, for the Lord your God, he shall fight for you. You see what's beginning to happen? Moses is bringing him to meet his God. And Joshua is staying in the tabernacle a little longer, getting to know this God. And then all of a sudden, 
It's now Josh. It's now Joshua's God. Now that God is going to fight for Joshua. And then Deuteronomy 31, 14, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Behold, the days approach that thou must die. Call Joshua, present yourselves in the tabernacle of the congregation, that I may give him a charge. Now God is, is totally directing Joshua. Is in this interactive relationship. You know who taught me? You know, I mean, no one's above this. You know who discipled me to show me how to have an interactive relationship with the Lord? It's Mark Trotter. Some of you guys may know the name. He showed me what this looked like. He involved me. He invited me in. Listen, three chapters a day, that's awesome. I'm not fighting that. But that's not interacting with the Lord. It's not having a conversation. Can I help you for those two in the room that maybe want to get this rolling? Psalm 118 is one of the best places to start. It's broken up in eight verses in their little standards. Take a notebook. Do it tonight, maybe do it tomorrow. Take your notebook. And on the left side, write out Psalm 119, 1 through 8. Just write that out. Takes maybe 15, 20 minutes. As you write it out, man, just, just look at it. Just watch the words. And then on the right side, write a prayer based on each one of those verses. Talk back to him. The things that you see and the things that you learn. And do that. That takes about, I think there's 28 stanzas. So it takes about 28 days to do just one a day. And that gets this thing rolling. If you need another practical thing, and to get this thing going, get a note card when you read. Find a verse. Something that God just pricks your heart. It can be the craziest stuff. Just go with it. If it's just something cool you saw in the Bible, just write it down. Whatever it is. Take that card throughout the day. Take it to school. Take it to work. Take it wherever you go. And that become your meditation all the day long. And talk to them about that verse. What does that mean? The bulls of Bashan. What is that all about? I may never know, but man, there's something to that. And all day long, you're pulling that note card. You put it in your pocket. You're like, what's that? Oh, you pull it out. Oh, there it is. Lord, what are you... You want me to do this? Okay, how does that look? What's that like? And now, you're actually talking with him. What's amazing is he'll answer you through his word. Listen, sometimes we read. Have you ever been there? You read, and you're like, man, I didn't get anything from that. Anybody been there? <laughs> yeah, that's my sister. She's honest. Yeah, you read. And, and, and teens would come to me all the time and say, man, I, I didn't get really anything out of reading this morning. I said, what did you read? Well, I read about Joshua and Caleb and Caleb taking the mountain and the Anakins and the giants and he's now old and he wants to, he, he storms the mountain and all that kind of stuff. I was like, oh, you got something. I'm like, no, I didn't get anything from me. You, have you guys been taught there's three applications of scripture? You know what you got was the historical application. You did get something. Yeah, it may not be personal, but you know what? If you store up that historical, God will pack that together and one day things will click. 
But you have to have the historical to get to the doctrinal and to the personal. So sometimes, man, you just got the historical application. That's okay. That's all right. That you got something. God told you a story. I'll, I'll, I'll tell stories to my kids every night. Most every night. And then they just got character and they got different things. And I make voices and it's a fun deal. And they pick three objects and I am you know, a unicorn and a basketball. And I've got to intertwine those things into the story. It's just a blast. And I'm trying to like tell them character stuff through the story. And at the end, I'm like, hey, what'd you learn from the story? Man, a basketball can bounce a mile high. I'm like, no, that's just in the story. You know, that's not really. And you know what? At the end of the time, they may not understand the character list, but I do know a couple things. At least one very important one. They spent time with the dad. And they were starting to learn what his voice sounds like. See, sometimes the thing is the reason we can't really pick things out sometimes is we haven't spent the time just to hear what his voice sounds like. We don't know what his words really say. And I'm trying to kind of relieve you a little bit, maybe, because I was there in the church, and I'm like, man, I'm just like, I can't get it. And I thought, if I just get my three chapters in a day, I'm good, I'm golden. I don't think that's a bad standard, by the way. I don't think that's a bad thing. I read my Bible in eighth grade from Genesis to Revelation. Listen, if I can do it, you can do it. And it set the stage. However, I do know it's sweet to have an interactive conversation. And if the two friends of God that are mentioned in the Bible, Moses and Abraham, had this interactive conversation, I think if we're going to start calling ourselves the friend of God, we probably should start interacting with them through Scripture. If you're like confused on that point, you're part of this, dude, come ask me. I, I'd love to share on that. That one's so key. It's so huge because that's the sweet stuff. Those are the verses that pop out that get you through the hardship. Those are the things that help prepare you. Those are the verses that guide your ministry as you go. These are the verses that you maybe read and God gives you. And then during the day, you're talking to the Lord and all of a sudden you're in a conversation at school and they start talking about it. You're like, oh, I just read that this morning. And you're able to share it. This is that interactive relationship that Moses taught Joshua. And then Moses, here's number two. Moses taught Joshua how to submit to God. Let me write that down. Moses taught Joshua how to submit to God. And it's not just principles. Tonight's so gonna be maybe some stories intertwined. I'm not gonna be like Wah! all over the place. Because I've already got the two's heart. They they already get it. They're already surrendered. I don't need to convince them. This is just instruction for the two. Moses taught Joshua how to submit to God. Here's a key principle though. You can never lead someone in discipleship if you have not first submitted to God in discipleship. And discipleship's a big deal. I know this is a word probably you're used to, right? This is a word that's thrown around a lot. Can I, can I bring this home a little bit? Can I, can I share why this is so important? See, when Jesus was coming, God gave him two jobs. Two, a business that he would be about. And it involves two things. Two works. 
And on the cross, he said, remember, it is finished. And he's talking about one work that his father had gave him to do. And that was to die on the cross. We would know that, right? That's the, the work of Calvary, the finished work of Calvary, right? It is finished. But you know in John chapter 17, God, Jesus was praying to his father, and he also says it is finished. Wait, he hasn't died yet. He hasn't hit the cross yet. And he says it's finished. And when you read that prayer, what's awesome is he's talking about the discipleship that he had with his boys. That he sat down with his boys, and for three and a half years he discipled them, and he's declaring to God, it, it is finished. The work that you gave me to do, it is done in them. Listen, what he finished was passed on to those boys, and those boys were to finish that work in their lifetime. And the next person that they discipled, they were to finish it, and they were to finish it, and they were to finish it, and for 2,000-some years, it now lands in your lap. It lands in your lap to start this work of discipleship, but in your lifetime, you're to finish it. I think that's one of the things you'll hear when it says, well done. It's if you finish that work the Father once gave His Son, now gives to you if you're born again. Well, you finish it. You can't finish something you never start. You can't finish one of the works that the Father wants to give you if you never begin. So what's interesting about the two works, one is to die and one is discipleship. That was the two works he gave to Christ. You know what the same thing happens to us? Or the same work has been given to us, the same business is given to us. Die to ourselves and disciple. That's your work. That the Father has given to you if you're born again. You can never lead someone in discipleship if you've never submitted to God in discipleship. And we see this in Joshua, Exodus 17.10. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. Moses told Joshua, hey, I need you to go do this. I need you to go do this fight. And Joshua submitted. He submitted to his leader. 2 Timothy 2.2, you probably heard this verse. And think that thou hast heard me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to who? Faithful men. You know how you prove to be faithful? By your submission. Here's another principle. Your leaders will put you into the fight if you're found to be faithful. How you get in the fight is through discipleship. Because what a disciple begins to see your skills, he begins to see your gifts, he begins to see your talents. And he says, hey, boy, now you need to be in this. Hey, man, you need to be in BBS next week. Hey, man, you need to serve this way. Hey, you need Because they see something in you. So they see the passion. They see your gifts. They see your skills. And they say, hey, I want to put you in the fight. But if you're not going to submit to the discipler, you won't go. You know how you get in? You submit to the discipleship. And God will get you in the fight through your leader. Seen it time and time again. My dad, uh, I, I played eighth grade football. Okay, that's the only year I played football. Right? Played my eighth grade year. I have not grown. Well, okay, I've grown grown out. I've not grown up since eighth grade. This was the size I was in eighth grade. So I was a, 
as a big boy. And I was benching over my weight, I lifted early, all this kind of crazy stuff that I shouldn't have probably been doing. And so, man, I could knock some people. I mean, I could clear some clocks. It was a blast. I was a middle linebacker, I loved it. And that was also tied in. But you know what my dad wants to me? He's like, hey, I coach. You want to get in the game? Just stand by the coach. So yeah, that practice hard, all that stuff. But when it's game time, just be on that coach's hip. Don't be at the cooler. Don't be on the bench. Don't be talking with your friends. Just, just be right there. And I'm like, huh. So I did it. I just submitted it. I was like, okay, cool. So I'm with my coach. I'm, I'm just kind of following wherever he wants to go and all that stuff. And you know, coaches they get frustrated. They throw their headset. They kick the coolers. Because so and so is not doing their job. And, and so so and so is not doing their job, and, and so what the coach does like, ah, I just need somebody, and like, well, that guess who's there? Oh, me. Right? And so go get in there. Well, coach, I've never kicked the field goal. I don't care. Just get in. Right? No. What I was doing, I just was being faithful. I just put in myself in a place. If my leader needed me, I'm there, and he put me in the game. You know the reason sometimes you guys will never get in the fight because you're just not there. You're not there to be found. You're not there on Wednesdays. You're not there on Sundays. You're not in discipleship. You're not being submitted to your leadership. And so when they need you, you know who they use? The team that's just faithful. I need you to go. I need you to get this done. You just got in the fight. Just because you submitted. It's a killer principle. This thing will get you into some of the craziest things. You know, we led a team to Mexico my last year being a youth pastor. And you know what was so cool? I was behind a camera all week. I didn't have to worry about my teams. I didn't have to worry about if they do something dumb or jumping off cliffs or having yak attacks or whatever, I can just sit back. Because they, you know what? They've been faithful so long. They've been in the battle so much. They knew what to do. I can just take pictures. Problems arose and I just sit back and watch them. They took, they did. Because they've been faithful. Those, these were my seniors and they've been faithful up to that point that they knew what the battle looked like. They knew what to do. And they got it done. And you tell, I tell you what, fight was awesome. The battles were great. The victories were sweet. Because they were in the battle with me. They were in the trenches. You want to be in the battle? you got to submit to God through discipleship. Mark Schaefer, as Tamar Trotter taught me, he discipled me in the, having that interactive fellowship. And then Mark Schaefer was my he was my baseball coach when I grew up. I grew up, but also he became the youth pastor when I came in as a counselor. And he's the one that taught me to submit. He wasn't a bad leader. Don't give me that. But he just did things different. Things that like, why, why are you making me do that? You know, I, I was a some young, I'm a new counselor, and my wife and I we just got married, and, and we're moving down to Ocala. We're just moving the switch. And, um, I can tell you that story another time. So we're moving to Ocala, and he calls me up. Hey, Code, what, what, uh, what ministry do you want to be in? 
I get a pick? I want college. Like, yes, singles. I want to do that kind of ministry, man. I just, um, I just got done doing a college ministry in Kansas City. It was just awesome. It was great. I'm like, that would be awesome. They said, uh, no, I'm going to put you in middle school. No, God, why? You know, I'm like, what? Why did you ask? <laughs> why did you give me hope? You know what I kind of find out? I love middle school. That's exactly where I needed to be. And it got me in an amazing fight. Got me in the battle. But if I had never submitted, I would never have been in that. And you know what? I never probably became a youth pastor. I would never have fallen in love with a group of teens like you guys. Man, it's so crazy. I, I look at some of you guys and I'm like, ah, oh, I see Melissa Warden. Oh, I see Danielle Sims. Oh, I see Mackenzie Bowen. Oh, I see Chandler Yap. I see my teens and you guys, and I invested in it. I loved and I cared for it. It's been really weird, but cool. And I look back. I would have never had the opportunity if I didn't submit back here to do a middle school. Some of you guys are going to miss out on some amazing things, but with the simple fact that you won't submit to the leaders God has placed in your life. telling you, you miss the battles, you miss the victories too. You want to end the fight? Man, you got to submit to leadership. Here's just something for you, for those two in the room. Here's a key principle. The greatest people are just obedient people. That's it. Noah, build a boat. He builds a boat. And he's a great man of faith. Abraham, I want you to just get up and move. All he did was obey. I mean, you go through the list, all these great heroes of the Bible and all these great missionaries and all these great pastors. You know what it really came down to? These great missionary ladies and all this. You know what it all boiled down to? They just were obedient. All they did was just submit. And it got them in this amazing fight. Number three, is Moses taught Joshua how to serve God. Moses taught Joshua how to serve God. There's a lot of things that people are saying that they're doing for the Lord. They're doing this work for the Lord. They're serving the Lord this way. But man, it's not how God says it to be. Anybody like orchids in here? You know what orchids are? These plants that are supposed to be pretty. Okay. This might be a little morbid, but I think you get what I'm doing. Alright. So, every anniversary, every Valentine's, and every Mother's Day, I buy my wife an orchid. Any chance I had, I would buy her an orchid. Well, it would die eventually. Usually pretty quick, but every time I buy her an orchid, in my mind, I'm like, hey, I'm setting up this like tradition so that when I die, Every time she sees an orchid, she'll think of me and all this kind of stuff. But every time I give her an orchid, she's like, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, that's so sweet, dear. But I really don't need another orchid. And then I do it again. She's like, ah, thanks. I just don't need any more orchids. And then they her another orchid. Like, I just can't buy orchids. Because I'm like, I'm going to show her I love her. <laughs> 
so, one morning, no joke, she's praying to God. See this interactive fellowship. My wife is talking to God, and it's like, I can't remember if it's Valentine's Day or what it is. And so I, I, I wait till the last minute to get gifts. And so I'm running to Walmart at 4 o'clock in the morning and so, to get my orchid and Oreos and a, and a coffee mug. And, and so this was so awesome. My wife wakes up and she's, she knows the day it is. And so she's praying to the Lord. Lord, if there is an orchid, Oreos, and a coffee mug out there, God, I'm going to kill him. Now, she said this to God. Like, you can have these conversations, okay? This is the whole deal. It's a friend. You're talking. That's what she prayed. Thank the Lord God didn't answer her prayer. Because guess what? That's what's out there. And so she comes out, and she sets me down. She said, I don't like orchids. And one of the reasons is, is I just don't like the responsibility it just adds another thing to my day, and, and I want to be able to invest in the kids. I want to be invest in you. I want to be able to do some of the things. So please don't buy me an orchid. And she began to explain that's not how she feels loved. And, and here's what I'm getting at. I think I'm loving her the whole time. And she ain't feeling loved because she's been trying to tell me this whole time. I don't, that's not how. I get love. I don't get orchids. And I wasn't listening. We do the same thing with God. We do things thinking that, oh, we're doing it for you, God. Yes, we love you. And God's pretty clear on what it means to follow him, what it means to love him. And he declares it through his word over and over and over. We keep giving God orchids. We keep giving them, oh, I'm serving him. I'm, I'm going to church. I'm, I'm doing whatever the thing may be. And God's like, ah, but see, I, I'm trying to tell you, I've got a, I've got another way over here, <laughs> and this is how I get love. This is how you worship. This is how you serve. And listen, if you want to not give your God orchids for the rest of your life and get to the judgment seat, He's been telling you, hey, the whole time I've been telling you, this ain't the way it's supposed to be done. If you want to get to the judgment seat here, well done, thou faithful servant, a good and faithful servant, you need to be discipled on how to serve him. You need a Moses to do that. And he gets that, Joshua gets that from, uh, from Moses himself. He's called a servant. So the end of Joshua's life, here's what it says in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 through 15. It says this, Now therefore fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity, in genuineness, and in truth. You have to have both. You can't just serve him in, in truth with no heart. And you can't just serve him with heart with no truth. You have to have both. And so he says, hey, serve him in sincerity and truth. And put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt. And serve ye the Lord. And if it seemed evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods that your father served, they were on their other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, that is for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Sounds like you learned it pretty good from the servant of the Lord, Moses. It seems like you got the picture. 
He needed to be taught. A guy in my life had taught me this, and a guy that took me through discipleship was Neil Brown. He was a servant of servants. He took me through discipleship, and man, showed me the humility, showed me that you don't need the limelight, showed me that I take out the trash, just serve in whatever way, can, whatever way you can. Just showed me through his life. He involved me. I learned how to serve. And so here, here's where the plane is kind of landing a little bit. I need you to answer this question. Here's a key question. Who is your Moses? Who's your Moses? If you're going to get in the fight, you need to have a Moses. So who is it? So write the question now. And don't peek on your neighbor's paper. Write that name down. If you don't have a name, you're, gonna have, you're not going to be able to get in. You need to have. You need to find a Moses. You know the best way to find a Moses? Talk to Stephen or Meg, and they'll hook you up. They'll figure some things out. They're yet to operate a counselor tonight, and they'll start the process. But if you want in the fight, the two people in the room that have surrendered, you have to have a Moses. You have to. That's how God ordained this thing to work. You have to be discipled. It's not just something we do. It's not just some program. It's a biblical process given to us by God himself. If you want to get in, you have to have one. The Moses will that God placed in your life is meant to teach you these three key things and more. But can I help you? Man, don't fall in some traps. One, it's going to be very easy, especially in this day and age, where you get someone that signed up to you to disciple you, and you're going to be like, she doesn't understand me. He doesn't get me. They, they, they never dealt with these problems. They never been through this thing. They never dealt with this disorder or this thing or that thought or this kind of family. Yeah. You know, Moses never felt... The whip. You know Moses was never a slave. You know that Moses was never in the same bondage as Joshua. Joshua could have pulled that card. But you know what Moses did have? He had 40 years in the desert. He knew what it was going to take for Joshua to get the people into the land. See, we don't need people where we're at. We don't need people to understand what's going on necessarily in our life. It's cool if it happens. But you know what we need? We need people to take us where we need to go. That's what you really need. You don't need someone that gets you. I know that's not popular, but that's, that's the truth. Well, you need someone that gets God and can take you from here to here. God doesn't necessarily care where you come from. That should be a freeing thought. But he cares where you're at and where he's going, where you're going, and what he's going to use is a Moses to get you there. Another thing that may will trip you up if you decide, I want to be a disciple, well, I don't like them. Their personality is different, man. I just don't, mm, just rubs me wrong. Listen, hear me out. I've had multiple men disciple me. Don't buy into the personality thing. Learn what God wants you to learn. 
You know what it all truly hinges on in? Hinges on is your submission. That's your role. That's your job. Let God take care of the teacher. And all the counselors in the room, man, I, I could submit to them. And sure, Andy's going to yell at me a lot. Right? But if you get past that hard shell and actually get to that soft heart that's hidden deep, deep, deep down in there, he actually loves and cares for you more than us more than other counselors I've ever seen in your group. And maybe you need the hard-hitting thing. You know what's cool about Andy? He offends everybody. You know, at least he's equal, right? You know what you're getting. But sometimes that's what we need to wake ourselves up. Sometimes maybe you need certain ladies or men in the way they approach. And God puts you there. And you know what? You may just learn one thing from them. Praise the Lord. That may be the one thing you need. You may learn a lot. I just mentioned three men in my life that decided me on three different areas. Why don't you just roll with the person that God placed in your life and finish? Finish. Why? I just don't think it's working. You don't know until it's done. Finish it. Be faithful. And you might just see yourself, hey, I'm in the battle. How? That's because so and so put me there. And you come out and you're like, whoa. I was going to share this tomorrow night, but I, just, I don't know how popular he is. Is Lecrae popular here? Right? Lecrae popular? Okay, I like Lecrae until he turned Calvinist. And I'm like, whoa. Right. Okay, so my dad also discipled me. We'll talk about the father thing tomorrow, but he also discipled me. So it just plays in both realms. So my dad is this dreamer. He's an entrepreneur, man. He just has these crazy dreams. Like, hey, we're going to have a three-on-three basketball league. I'm like, dad, it's like the winter. Yeah, I know, but it's going to be awesome. My dad, I can't feel my fingers. And he's one that, we got to reach these kids. You know, my church is right next to the high school. And so, man, I'm like, all right. And it worked. Like, I got, like, three of the basketball guys to come play with me. Is I took them to McDonald's, shared the gospel with them. It's just awesome. I'm like, bah. It worked again. My dad, like, every time he does, did something, I'm like, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Oh, you know? And I was the oldest. So guess what? With the dreamer of a dad and the oldest kid, guess what? I become the servant. I'm the one that makes the dream come true. I'm like Disney World, right? For my dad. For my dad. It's a Disney World for my dad. Dreams come true. Okay, so so he comes up with this idea. He's like, hey, Cody, we're going to have Lecrae come in. No, Dad. We're we're an all white church. We got a youth group of like ten kids. And yes, the high school we went to was fifty fifty, and maybe we're trying to reach students and all that stuff. But I'm like, Dad. He's like, Code. Like, yeah, we can do this. Okay, whatever. Like, I know what that means. I'm doing a Lord. So I was like, Dad, give me two flatbed trailers. All right. So my dad goes out and gets two flat. Flatbed trailers. We're having, now we're having an outdoor concert. I'm like, how did you get the flatbed trailers? Don't worry about it. I got it. So, all right. So I stripped all the equipment out of the church. Made our pastor really happy. Stripped it all out and set up a daisy chain. All these, you know, speakers together. I probably would have, if 
anything went wrong, it was gonna blow up and tons of people would have died. But anyway, it all worked out. And, and I'm sitting there setting this all up and the sun's beating down on me and I'm like, man, this is so aggravating. He keeps doing these things and I'm just, ah, I hate this. And I'm just, I'm just having a bad attitude. Talking about this interactive relationship with the Lord, I, I start, having, start praying to the Lord, Lord, I just, why does he keep doing these things? And he's like, this is literally like the Holy Spirit is like, hey, has it worked out before? Yeah, it works out every time, but this one's not going to work. I just know it's not. And he said, well, you just, has it worked out before? Yes. And has it been always like a, just a good time and a great journey and adventure? I'm like, yeah. And don't you have some great stories after and some great experiences? I'm like, yeah. And so he's like, then why don't you just change your attitude and have a good time? What happens, happens. And right then and there, I'm like, man, all right, I submitted. And so I'm out there now, I'm sweating, it's hot, and I'm just having a good old time. I'm just hooking them all up, and I get there, and man, I don't know how my dad does it, but he got like three other bands to come play. And like, so we had this full set. One guy had an accordion, it was awesome. And then Lecrae walks up, and he said, hey man, I heard you're gonna be my DJ. What? Yeah, I heard you're gonna be my DJ. Uh, here, here's my iPod. <laughs> he hands me his iPod. That's what he played his music off of. He, he hands me his iPod and said, hey, okay, I'm gonna call you DJ in the middle of the concert. I'm gonna say, hit that track, DJ, or something like that. And when I do that, you just hit the next track. You press play. And when it's done, you press pause so that I can... Okay. So for a night, I was Lecrae's DJ. And I've got video proof, don't I, Hudson? Man, I'll show that tomorrow night. Or tomorrow morning. If I didn't submit, I would never have been in that moment. And that's a cool thing. You know what? The crane is like down here versus some of the things that God's taken me through and done at a young age, your guys' age, all because I just did these principles. I had an interactive relationship with the Lord, so man, this conversation I had on the ball field changed my heart, so then I could enjoy the process and be there and just enjoy the night. I submitted to God through my disciple, my dad. And so he put me in the battle. He put me in this moment. And I just I just served. And he got me this place from DJ and for Lecrae. But you know what's cool? I mean, we had so many kids from school come. There's probably a hundred kids. And all my church, ten something in the youth group at that time. And that moment though, I could say. I was truly a part of it because I didn't fight it. Some of you guys are missing out on some amazing things and you will miss out on amazing things because you just won't submit to discipleship. Real quick, here's another key question and this is for the counselors. I know Cam is for you guys, but the counselors are going to switch it. Who's your Joshua? I mean, write that question down, counselor. Who's your Joshua? And then do you have names to put under that? And are you teaching them to submit? I don't know. I mean, we're at camp, so. Are you teaching them to serve? It's hard if it's hard to teach someone to submit and hard to teach someone to serve if you're not. I don't mean to beat up on the council. I think you guys are awesome. You guys are doing a great job. But it's camp, right? Here's the other one. No. Are you teaching them 
how to have an interactive relationship? Are you just okay with three chapters? And you're like, oh, they're reading, they're good. Oh, they're at church, they must be good. Oh, they come around and they're just hanging out and they're always here, cool, they must be all right. If you tell them, they'll forget. If you show them, they'll remember. If you involve them, they'll understand. Involve them in your personal relationship with the Lord. And if you, for some reason, don't know how, I know that you have an amazing leader that can show you, but counselors kind of just, teams don't just check out, but counselors are going to stay in your word for, world for a little bit. There's, when I was teaching my teams, there's three days I was wanting to prepare them for that. I wanted them to stand at. One is the evil day. There's an evil day that comes into kids' lives. And that day is when they had to face the, the world, the flesh, the devil, all by themselves. You're no longer there. The parents are no longer there. We see this with Adam and Eve where the devil shows up, right? They have to stand on their own. Man, so I prepare my teams for the time. And some of you guys have faced some of those evil days already. That door has already been open to you. But you know what I was trying to teach my teams? How to stand in the evil days. You know, the other day that I was preparing my teams for was the wedding day. I want to get them there so they can stand. But you know what? They also have to stand there alone. I can't stand there with them. I can't hold their bride's hand with them and say, hey, buddy, this is great. I can't stand there with the girls like, hey, this is awesome. No, that's their time to stand. I want to get them to that day to stand. The other day that I was preparing my teens for was to be able to stand in the judgment seat of Christ. Listen. If you will do these three things, you become a Moses to a Joshua. If you make sure these three things are in their life, you will prepare them for all three of those days. You will prepare them when they have to stand alone. Because just like Joshua, Moses had to die. And Joshua had to go to the land alone. He had to face some of those battles. And some of you guys, man, you're going to university, you're going to college, you're going on. And you had a time here to get prepared. You had an opportunity to be discipled. Maybe you missed it. Hey, redeem the time. Some of you guys are here. And you're going to get to the end of these days and you're like, oh, I wish I did this. You ever heard the term, the good old days? You ever heard that term? Oh, we're living in the good old days. Or, Man, those were the good old days. Right? Hear me out. You're living in the good old days. And one of the sweet things is you need to learn this principle. I don't know if it's a biblical principle, but it's a principle. When you're realizing you're living the good old days and enjoying the good old days while you have the good old days, you're going to, most or some in this room are going to look back to this. Man, that was the good old days. I wasted it. I didn't get the cycle. So now I'm 30, 40, 50. I'm not in the battle. And man, some so sad. Some will go through and won't get saved, won't surrender, won't submit. You really know that you wasted it. There's three little days. There's a verse in Joshua chapter 1, and we see 
one of the three, and I'm just going to mention it, write it down, maybe you can look at it, but Moses dies. And he shifts to Joshua, and now he's the leader. He's going to do everything that God has asked him to do, has commanded him, and in verse 10 it says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. He went from a slave to a soldier, now to a leader of soldiers. All through this process of discipleship, and he was able to go into the land. He was now ready to fight the fight. Listen, discipleship is meant to bring you to maturity so you can face the battles alone and be found standing. Be found standing. I know this is weird. You've got to trust me with your, your teens. This is kind of strange, I know. But I want to make it, I want you guys to have an opportunity here. And when we talk about the good old days, talk about Moses and discipleship and all those things, I just want to, want you make aware of something that maybe you don't know. Like the good old days, you don't sometimes know you're in the good old days until they're over. If you can find out that you're in the good old days while you're in the good old days, it just makes the good old days a lot better. Listen, and I don't say this just to say this. You have the best youth pastor I have ever seen. I, I, I ain't making a joke. I ain't like just saying that. I'm trying to be like, roll with me here. I'm going to roll up. I've seen a lot of youth guys. I've been in the youth ministry for a long time. My dad being a youth pastor, and then me being a youth pastor, I've seen it. He is the best I've ever seen, and the only reason he is the best he's ever seen is because of that God's love. I don't know if you know what you got. I don't know if you know the Moses you have in your life at such a time as this. I want you to make. I want to make you aware of that. You don't get this by just winging it. He knows your name. He prays for you. He writes things down. He cares for you. There was a time in David's life where he's in the cave and it's just really dark and really hard. And he's like, man, I looked to my left and no man knew me. No man cared for my soul. And that was my ministry verse. I wanted to come into the youth ministry and I, you know, you may hate me, you may not like me, you can spit spit on me, which I had a team do, cuts me up and down, all that jazz. But even through all that, deep down, you know I knew you and I cared for your soul and I have not found another youth pastor like that until I came to this game. He truly wants to know you. He really wants to know you. He cares for your soul. I don't know if you know how good you got it. Those kind of Moses aren't just all out there. Like, you just get one to find one. Now, I'm telling you what, I've been around a lot of counselors, and they make a lot, they give me a lot of headaches through the years. Man, this is one of the best counselor groups that I've seen. I've, I've been yet, this is the first time since my ministry. If I'm still in the game, I'd be like, hey, anyway, see you in your second. Okay, I'm not trying to be prideful, but. You know, 
Sorry, I pulled an Andy there. Okay, so <laughs> Steven said I could have all the shots I want. All right, but listen. They remind me of my counselor so much. The sacrifice. When you're taking vacation, the love they have for you, the care, the time, the effort. You don't have a youth group like this in every church. You don't have these kind of people that are willing to disciple you, spend a one-on-one time with you. Yes, they're flesh. Yes, they have hard times. Yes, they may say things. But they care for you. And they love your soul. And they're willing to be Moseses to you. You don't get shots like that very often, especially in Christianity today. I don't know if you know what you got. But what's crazy? Well, so, one of the things that drives me nuts and brings a lot of fear in my life is the people that invested in me, I will have to answer the judgment seat of Christ for that investment and what I did with it. You have the best youth pastor and wife and counselor group that I've seen in years. And you will have to answer for that. You will have to answer with the investment that they gave to you. They need to drive you nuts and cause you a lot of fear when you say, you know what? I'm going to give you a Moses. I'm going to use them. Yes, you go make other youth groups and they have pizza parties. You may go to other youth groups and they have cool t-shirts. You may go to other youth groups and they do the entertainment and they draw you in. They just care about the number. They don't care about your soul. I'm telling you, I don't know if you know what you got. You got a bunch of Moses. But here's what I want to do too. And I know this would be Stephen's heart. The counselor made us will help you. We can't chase the ones that don't want to be caught. No one blew up our youth group when I got the youth group at about 30 something. In three years, we were at 100. And then we had Bible study in all the high schools. We had Bible studies in the middle schools. I mean, these are student led Bible studies. I mean, it was blowing up. It was awesome. It was so awesome. You know what flipped it for me? kept chasing kids, I kept chasing teens that didn't want me to catch them. And so I'm spending all this time chasing this one, and I'm like, I so desperately want them to be a part, and I care for them, I love them, and I'm chasing, I'm giving tons of energy to them, and I'm, man, they're not listening, they're not there, they're not faithful, they're not doing these things, and I'm like, I'm pulling my hair out, and I had a, a row like this, I had like 10 kids that were there every week. They were there, they were faithful, they were willing to submit, they were willing to serve, but I didn't have the time and energy to pour into them because I was chasing the one. It sounds harsh, and it sounds hard, but I turned my back on the one, I'm like, okay, if when he wants to get caught, then I'll catch him. And I started to invest in the 10. And man, I tell you what, that's when things blew. That's when it got fun. Because those ten got in the battle with me. 
and they started ripping you up for ice, and they started leading Bible studies, and they started doing these amazing things. They got in the fight just being a disciple. They became my leaders, and man, they're awesome, and they have a lot of them, and I love that a couple of them now. Man, like Mason Brothers, he's leading our music at our church. And he's in the battle. Caitlin Cooper is now one of my secretaries, and man, I would trust it with anybody. You know, Heidi Harding was one of our founding members of the church that we're at now, and now she's in Tampa leading the music. Melissa Wharton, as I mentioned, anybody heard of the 52 Weeks by Trotter? She's the editor for those books. They're in the fight. They're in the battle all because they just did these three principles. And I don't know if you know what you got. What a time to submit. What a time to serve. What a time to learn about this interactive relationship from some amazing people that get it. And do they got it all? No, they're figuring out. But praise the Lord, they're honest. Praise the Lord, they're trying. They want to give you the world if they can. And you'll get it through discipleship. There's a battle of Jonathan and Armor Bear. You know that story? Jonathan's in this really tight ravine area, and he's got an Armor Bear that's with him, and they're going to go up against this garrison of, their garrison of Philistines, and it just seems impossible. And Jonathan's like, let's get him. And the armor bearer says this, I'm with you because of your heart. Hey, you might not care for some of the personalities of certain people. You may not care how they say it or how they do it. But you can't, you can't question their heart. So get behind that. Hey, I know your heart. So I'm with you. Let them take you into the help. You, not, you will not regret it to. To the room, you will not regret it. And you'll get to that. Here's the closing. Okay? Some of you are still dealing with salvation, and so I'm going to ask you how many more nights you need with the frogs. Some of you are still dealing with surrender. What else does God have to do to win your heart and mind? Ladies, you. You surrender your heart to a guy or friends for far less than what God has done for you. Gentlemen, you surrender your heart for a game or a girl for far less than what God has done for you. It is possible to surrender your heart. But tonight I'm talking to the two. The two teams that want to get in, that want to be in the battle, that want to be in the fight. Here's your key decision. Tonight, you have a conversation with the Lord. God, I'm ready to submit to discipleship. And you know what? That decision may be one of the biggest decisions outside of salvation because there will be a day when you don't have your Moseses anymore. There will be a day when you don't have your Stephen and your Meg and your counselors. You will have to fight alone. Will you be ready to stand? It will depend on how you submit discipleship. Last thing, I want you to write this down, and then I'll pray. Great leaders, great leaders were once the greatest followers. 
I usually say it this way, the greatest Moseses were once the greatest Joshua's. If you want in, follow. Submit. And just watch God do some amazing things. Father, I just thank you for this evening and I just ask you that you would just implement this decision. Like you would just work in our hearts, Lord, that do such a thing that may just override the way that we see that we've got it good. Let's not waste it. And that we would want to get in the fight. And Lord, I pray that the council would really have to push that people would get it. And that it wouldn't be an emotional decision. I try to eliminate all the emotion I could out tonight. And just be very practical. That it be a choice of virtue, a choice of obedience, a choice that they know that they need to do. And I know the odds are not in their favor. I know that it may just be two. But those, those two would impact the generation. That they begin to submit to the process of redemption. Lord, as Stephen closes us out, Lord, just guide us in these decisions. Let us not lose it on the on the way to the cabins and to our time together. We love you. Amen.